Good morning and welcome back to Answering Religious Errors. We continue our studies on each Tuesday at noon Eastern time. We are currently going through a series called Why I Believe. We've had a lot of great studies up to this point and we look forward to having a few more as we uh, bring to you live Bible studies each noon Eastern time on Tuesdays. But if you have any questions or comments regarding this program or just a Bible comment on your mind, join us for our Wednesday study uh, called the Live Bible Q&A. We have quite a few who uh, submit questions, and you can go ahead and do so by sending those to questions at answeringreligiousera.com. And that's the easiest way to get questions to us. If you do so live on the program, uh, we simply ask that you go to our Facebook page or our YouTube channel and uh, ask those questions as the program is happening, because if you put them on a shared page, uh, we might not be able to see those. Well, we won't be able to see those questions. Uh, So please bear with us as we try to gather those together to add to our lineup. There are some questions that are asked each week that we don't have a chance to get to for a couple of weeks. So hang in there. Uh, We'll get to your questions as uh, we rarely, we we pretty much try to cover everything that's, that's, you know, cast our way. If you would like to listen to this program in more of an audio version after it airs, it'll be in various podcast uh, formats. So if you're a podcast listener, you know what I'm talking about. Just go to your favorite podcast player and look up Answering Religious Air. And then you can start the day every day with the Daily Answer podcast. And that is 15, 20 minutes of encouraging words from Mark Dunnigan, who you'll meet in just a moment. And we appreciate his words of wisdom weekdays beginning as early as 5 a.m. As you know, you can listen to podcasts at any time through your favorite podcast player. And so tune in to the Daily Answer podcast. Today, we're going to be answering the question or make the statement, why I believe that the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation especially when it comes to something that we typically roundabout say is about you know 2,000 years old. Uh, how do we uh, tie that in with our modern living today? Does society change these things? And we've got to answer these questions today because there are many uh, that have fallen by the wayside over the issue of the validity of the gospel in modern times. Let's bring up our panel today, and it's good to see you guys. As always, we have Mark Dunnigan, who will be heading up our study with these questions that he has prepared. Bob Myhan, whom we like to remind everyone, has a program on Monday nights called Bob's Bible Basics. And right now he's taking us through a study about angels and demons. And so you're up to five or six studies now, Bob. So you, folks can go back and, uh, and uh, uh, listen to those programs on Facebook as well as YouTube. So that's every Monday night. Thank you for your work there. Terry Benton's with us and Mark uh, uh, Gibson is with us and so much appreciate uh, the work that you men do in uh, the various aspects of the kingdom. Wherever you might be, uh, the brethren that you work with are certainly blessed. But it's good to be with you today. And if you will, let's bow together and give God thanks. And Mark Gibson, would you mind leading us in a prayer? Certainly. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for each and every blessing you continue to give us. You're so gracious and help us never to take any for granted. And we're thankful for the time that we have right now to be able to discuss the word of God together and with those that are listening in. We pray, Father, that we may indeed be able to appreciate 
the power of your word and its effectiveness always. We pray, Father, that your word will dive into good and honest hearts this day, and may your will always be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much. We want to remind everyone that uh, we are kind of scattered across the country in various areas. So if we can help you find uh, brethren to work with, worship with, maybe send a preacher your way, please reach out to us and let us know. Uh, I'm Chris Kramer, and you can email us at questions at answeringreligiousera.com. Mark Dunnigan, great to be back with you today. We missed you last week, so we hope we did the program justice. And so uh, we're looking forward to your uh, guidance today. Good to be on the show, Chris. And yeah, we were up uh, up in Washington, uh, north of us, where uh, kind of a little bit remote area. We made it to the westernmost point of the continental United States, Cape Flattery, which was named by Captain Kirk. What, or excuse me, Captain Cook. <laughs> Captain Cook. Uh, the oldest, um, I think, European name uh, of the state of Washington. Um, and it was basically like flattery, like there was an opening that was flattering to us, and, and we took it. And that would be the Strait of Juan de Fuca that would go all the way down to Seattle. But that was that was pretty cool. Um, up in the whole rainforest which may mean it's an Indian word, which may mean something like fast moving river or snow melt because it's a river that comes off a glacier. But one of the possible meanings for the, the word ho of whole rainforest and the whole river is man with two quarreling wives. And so, you know, that's kind of a <laughs> not a good thing there. We do want to take a look at this show, Chris, of the gospel. I, as you noted, 2,000 years later, um, is it still the power of God and the salvation? And I guess the first thing I would note is Romans 3.23 says, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And as I look out among the human race and look out among the world, and now with 24-7 news, we get a pretty good glimpse of the world. Looks like all men still sin and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, I don't find that the human race has really solved any of its sins. Like, well, we don't have that sin anymore. We've kind of fixed that one. Uh, all, all the same evil and depravity, selfishness is still with us. All the vices are still with us. It seems like maybe in quite a few of them out there, pretty public going on. I don't see the human race getting any better by its own wisdom. But the great premise of the book of Romans, Romans 1 16, is the, power, the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. And Chris, let's bring up that first question. And then we'll have our panel take a look at that. Um, there are different places in the Bible where the word of God is like in the seed. Uh, obviously, the parable of the sower. Luke 8, 11, or Matthew 13, but also 1 Peter chapter 1, 23. You've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the word of God, which is living and abiding. Gentlemen, any thoughts on why that, why God would choose that analogy, um, that, that my word is like a is like a seed and 
that the human heart is like soil or different types of soil, depending upon the character or the honesty of the individual. Gentlemen, what say you? Well, you know, when you when you look at seed being planted uh, and Jesus used the illustration of uh, different kinds of hearts, the seed illustration helps you to see it no matter how people harden their heart. It's still the word of God that is being planted and uh, the seed doesn't change. The seed doesn't steep. The seed still has the same life and it's going to produce the same results, no matter what kind of ground that you plant it in. So it doesn't matter the culture that you plant it in. It doesn't matter the times. It's still going to be the same seed, still going to have the same results in the same kind of heart. So it can be a hard heart. It can be a worldly heart that uh, kind of wants to do the be uh, both of uh, the, have the best of both worlds where you have God's word and then you have it entangled with the world uh, like uh, like thorny ground. Uh, there's just, you know, all kind of hearts. The hearts may change and you may have different kinds of hearts, but the seed illustration helps you to understand that seed is still going to have the same result. Every seed, God said, produces after its own kind. So it's going to get the same results. The heart that it's planted in may do the changing, but it doesn't matter what the change of the of the culture or the change of the heart in regard to uh, the culture. The same seed is going to have the same life in it and produce the same kind of results. And it depends on us to make sure our heart is ready for the right kind of results and the best kind of results. Parables show, Jesus' parables show the linkage between God's physical and spiritual creation. He used the physical aspects of this world to parallel spiritual concepts because the same God created both. And the principles of wisdom, the principles of truth, the principles of life are the same, whether in the physical world or in the spiritual world. So that's why Jesus could draw uh, examples from the physical world to illustrate spiritual truths. And he did that with the, with the best known in the first parable, the parable of the sower. And Terry was talking about the idea of the, the hearts as soils. The seed is the same. There is one, there has to be one who spreads the word. Of course, God is the originator. And then we take the word and spread it, but the power is in the word and in physical seeds, that's where the DNA is. You want the DNA of corn, you have to plant corn seeds. You want the DNA of carrots, you have to plant carrot seeds or tomatoes or whatever the case may be. And to produce a child of God, you must have spiritual DNA. And the word of God is that spiritual DNA. You cannot produce a child of God outside of the spiritual DNA of his word. That's the only way. Those who are produced by any other DNA whether by human commandments, human doctrines, human religions, will never produce children of God. They will produce children of men, man's causes, man's uh, philosophies, and so forth. But you will never produce a child of God without the spiritual DNA of the seed, um, the seed of the word of God. And so, and, and we are to bear fruit. 
Jesus in John 15 talks about we glorify God when we bear fruit unto him. You can't bear fruit without growth and without a seed. You have to have the seed which grows and then bears fruit. There has to be, again, the parallel between the physical and the spiritual is the same. In the physical world, you can't have a, pro a produce without first planting the seed. And in the spiritual world, you must plant the seed in order to have the produce. I think it's Mark's gospel in Mark, oh, I don't know how it written down here, Mark 4, where he's the only one of the three gospels that mentions that it will produce 30, 60, or 100-fold. That's in the good ground, the only ground that produced well. And that shows that each of us have something that we can produce. We may all not produce the same, but we can all glorify God in what we're able to do, like the parable of the pounds or the parable of the talents. Everyone has that which they are able to produce for God. Those who don't produce are like the vines, of the, the branches that don't produce, they're cut off. Uh, the servants that do not produce for the master are cast away. And so we are expected to produce something and all of us have our abilities to do uh, what we can. So again, just adding on to what Terry said, and I'm sure that Bob and Chris will add something here also, that the, the germination must begin with the seed. That's true in the physical world. It is true in the spiritual world. So Jesus made that connection, and we can certainly see the wisdom in that. You know, in the parable of the tares, uh, Tares were sown in among the wheat. And so tares also require seed. Anything that is taught is seed because anything that is taught has influence on those who are taught and changes those who are, who are taught. So long as the heart that is being taught is receptive to that particular, uh, particular seed. And so, uh, but the seed of the kingdom and, and that's what we've been talking about. The seed of the kingdom is the word of God. Uh, any denominational doctrine, that's seed. But you plant denominational doctrine, you're going to reap a denomination, uh, a member of a denomination. Uh, and the members of a denomination collectively make up the, the denomination. And so uh, error is the seed of, of denominationalism. And error is the, uh, the seed of cultism. And so uh, error is the seed of uh, atheism. And so almost anything that lives, that has any kind of life at all, uh, is produced by seed of some sort. But as we have been talking about, we're talking about the word of God as the seed of the kingdom. And that must be planted, and it must be planted in the, in the hearts of men and good and honest hearts are the only ones going to, that are going to be fully affected, fully influenced. There may be some influence on the uh, thorny ground, uh, some influence on the uh, stony ground, but uh, only the good and honest hearts, the good ground will be fully uh, and completely influenced for good by the seed of the kingdom. So it's up to us to make sure that uh, that we have a good and honest heart. Also, a part of a good and honest heart is uh, is what is in gardening called the soil solution. 
we've got to have spiritual nutrients in addition to the word, things that uh, help the word, and that's the influence of other people will be a part of the soil solution. We've got godly parents who teach us the gospel. They're, they're not the seed, but they are soil solution. And so they help us to prepare our hearts for the seed. And so that's that's the role that parent the main role that parents have is to prepare their children's hearts to be receptive to the seed of the word of God, the seed of the kingdom when it is planted. And then as they mature, they are uh, given more and more of the of the seed of the kingdom uh, as they can understand it, as they can appreciate it, as they can apply it. And so. Everything requires seed that grows, but Christians can only be created and can only grow by the seed of the kingdom, the word of God. Well, I don't know what to add to that, but uh, certainly want to reiterate everything that everyone said. And it kind of gets back to some of the practical reasons as to why Jesus uses analogies like this. I mean, there are all kinds of analogies, metaphors, if you will, that are used throughout the Bible to express the word of God, to express the heart of man. And uh, certainly it's up to us to cultivate our hearts in the proper way, because the seed, as has already been indicated, uh, just from the beginning of time produces after its own kind. You're not going to plant a seed uh, for one particular plant and something else grow in its place. Um, even though the world is so desperate to believe in things like evolution or choices that they make in life. And you know what I'm talking about when it comes to the society that we're living in today. But um, God has given us the gospel. And, and Mark, you already indicated this. And I, I didn't get a chance to put it on screen earlier, but... In Romans 1.16, where you said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And I, I look at this passage, and I, I like to ask people, you know, what is the power of God? You know, when you think about that seed and it taking root and taking growing, um, the word is powerful. The word saves. But at the same time, I have a responsibility toward that, that word. Uh, it's not going to save me in spite of myself. Uh, I have a terrible yard. <laughs> I was calling landscapers earlier today to see what we can do about getting rid of some dead bushes and things that are growing out here that aren't growing out here. Um, I made a mistake a few years ago of weed and feed my yard. And what I didn't realize at the time was most of my yard was weed. So therefore the weeds died and I had patches of green and patches of brown. Um, so many people seem to live like that in their relationship with God. And it's taken years for the good grass to grow uh, in the place of the bad. And there's still a few bad places, but I have to get out there and cultivate those areas to uh, nourish them, to water them, and uh, to hopefully see some you know, good uh, growth from those things. So I have a responsibility. And Jesus taught in parables like this so that we could understand, so that we can relate on a human level to say, this is what I need to do in order uh, to take on the responsibility of being a sower of that seed. Mark. Good comments, gentlemen. You know what? It might be tempting if you're trying to work with someone and if you don't see much progress. 
to think maybe the message isn't that powerful. But look at Romans 1.16 again. It's the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. Hebrews 4, 1 and 2 talked about that the good news that Israel heard in the wilderness did not profit them because it was not united by faith. And uh, Mark had talked about uh, in the parable of the sower uh, yielding like a hundredfold. And that's when the seed hits a heart that trusts it. It's amazing the transformation that takes place. And you will see that in the lives of the early Christians. And as you travel, you will find that in the lives of Christians today. Uh, where they came from, the sins that they came out of, the addictions that they came out of, the falsehoods they came out of, and where they're at now. You know, Chris, it's tempting to think that the message isn't that powerful, but I tell you what, in Matthew's account, he states that Satan is there, ready to snatch that word from the heart. Matthew 13, about verse 19, Satan takes the word of God very seriously. Not only that, Chris, but I think our secular culture takes the word of God very seriously. That's why they don't want it in the public schools. <laughs> That's why they don't want it in an academic setting. That's why they're very offended about it being uh, in the media. I mean, Chris, what sort of culture would we have if the secular society said, you know what? Uh, we want the Bible read like on the news. Let's do a scripture reading on the news each night. Um, in schools, let's start with a prayer and maybe a Bible reading, just a, a section of scripture that we'll read a little bit. And I mean, and not only that, but let's put some programming and movies on and television shows that really talk about the importance of the beauty of God's creation and the wisdom of his word or whatever. I think we'd have a little bit different culture if that was going on today. And so, man, the culture out there by trying to limit the influence of the gospel and the power of God's word, um, what they're saying is that they take it seriously. What they're saying is, you know, if we allow this to be taught, there's a good chance people are going to respond to it. And we don't want that. It's a seed. It's a seed that always continually wants the root in the human heart. And the devil realizes that. And so when you share the gospel with someone and they don't do anything with it, don't think you failed. That seed is still there and it's going to continually try to root in that person's heart. And I've seen a number of situations where a person becomes a Christian decades after first hearing the gospel, because they cannot continually resist it. It's that powerful. Our next question, Chris, is going to also be about God's word. It's from the book of Hebrews chapter 4. It talks about God's word being sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to, uh, well, penetrate the division between soul and spirit and the judge, the thoughts and intentions or intents of the heart. and what does that mean? What's that passage mean that it's able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart? Gentlemen, what observations do you have on that? 
Mark, let me add something to what you were just saying at the end of that last point about the, the devil knows the power of the word. Those who work for him know the power of the word. Another passage that illustrates that, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where he talks about the gospel being veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 4. Then verse 4, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. He can't allow that. He cannot allow the light of the gospel to shine on people because of the effect it will have. So the devil does everything he can to prevent it. So there's another passage that illustrates that good point that you made. Uh, as to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, how does it judge the thoughts and intents of the heart? Well, stay in Hebrews. Look at chapter 5, where in verse 12, the Hebrew writer somewhat uh, uh, exasperatingly says, by this time you should be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. So he describes the... Uh, the idea of the word of God is milk and solid food. He talks about those who are um, who partake of milk are unskilled in the word of righteousness, but solid food, verse 14, belongs to those who are full age, that those who by reason of use have their senses exercised, now watch, to discern both good and evil. Now, how are they able to do that? Because they're just really smart? No, not just not just that simply but they are wise in the word of God. They have taken in the meat of the word. And when you take the meat of the word of God in your heart, you are able then, because of that, to discern both good and evil. And there is how the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It makes us wise unto knowing the difference between what is right and what is wrong and making that application in our lives. It's somewhat also illustrated by the Gentiles of old. Romans chapter 2 verse 14 talks about the Gentiles of old who did not receive the covenant yet had in a sense the law written on their hearts. And what did that do? Well, when that, when that law was written on their hearts, they were obedient to what God had revealed to them and what they were able to know of what God desired. They were able then in their conscience, through their conscience, they were able to know what would accuse them as wrong or excuse them as right. Their conscience was able to do that because their conscience had the law of God guiding it. And so they were able to know the difference between what was right and what was wrong. And that's what made the ancient Gentiles, uh, this is just a, a corollary point, uh, made them amenable before God. They knew what they knew of God's law they were responsible for. And their conscience being guided by that would either excuse them or accuse them as to what they were either doing right or wrong. And I'll end with Psalm 119 verse 11. Uh, Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against thee. And there's the practical application of how the word of God is a uh, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. You have it in your heart, then you will, you will know how not to sin against God. It's only by the word of God that we're able to do that. Yeah, that's great. That's great observations. You just look at some examples like Acts 2. People uh, heard Peter preach the word. They were cut to the heart. 
what it what did it do? Well, it exposed the very attitudes that made brought them to a level of being willing to crucify the Lord of glory. How do you get that far? Well, the word of God exposed their hearts and said, said you were you you took him with lawless hands. You were the problem. And so he the word of God was quick and powerful and sharp and and it cut to the heart and they knew they were exposed. In Acts chapter seven, Stephen, all he does is he just goes back and look at how many times people rejected God's messenger, how they treated Joseph, how his brothers kin to him treated Joseph. And uh, his point, of course, is that's the way you did Jesus. You're his brothers in the flesh to him, just like Joseph's brothers did to, to Joseph. And it went through a history of how many different leaders or different times when they mistreated their leaders. And then he summarizes by saying, you stiff necked and, uh, and hard of heart. Uh, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Right there, he was honing in on the power of just using the word of God that exposed their history and brought it home to them and said, see yourself right there in the mirror. Here's the mirror of God's word. And you can be critical of Joseph's brothers and you can be critical of those who rejected Moses, but you're doing the exact same thing, exposing their thoughts and their actions of the heart. So the word of God is just saying, see how evil people act, see what they did, see what you do and how you're responding. So the word of God is able to judge the thoughts and intents just by showing you examples of yourself in action, the way they treated Jesus, the way, way Pilate tried to wash his hands of it and say, I'm not guilty. I'm not going to be in, involved with this. Well, that's the way we wash our hands of things too. Uh, while we join in on mob mentality and justify ourselves because everybody else is rejecting him too. And so again, exposing the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, we're seeing how they treated Jesus is how we're treating Jesus. And so the, the, the examples that are given in the word of God are quick and powerful. They expose the thoughts and intents of the heart just as real as it has ever done. Those are my thoughts. You know, I appreciate that, uh, Mark, Terry. Terry just alluded to James chapter one and verse, uh, verse 20, uh, 22 beginning, which says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. When you look into the gospel, as Terry pointed out, and you see sinfulness described, you realize that that is a description of yourself. And you cannot afford to, to walk away from that mirror and forget what kind of man that, that you just observed that you were. But that's what many do. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. I think it was, it was years before I realized this said work and not word here. 
uh, not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. What work? The work that is revealed in God's word, whereby we can change our conduct uh, by accepting the word of God, the seed of the kingdom, becoming Christians, and then uh, partaking of the meat of God's word so that we can become uh, adept at it and, and grow and become uh, mature Christians. And so uh, this one, he says, will be blessed in what he does. And so oh, we, we've got to, we cannot afford to take God's word uh, for granted. We've got to appreciate it. We've got to understand it. And we've got to, uh, to apply it. There are a lot of people out there, I, I've talked to people who, who say, oh, I just love to read the Psalms. Well, that's good. I'm glad. But have you read the gospel plan of salvation? Have you read the good, uh, the great commission? Have you read uh, Acts chapter two? And and if you've read those passages, have you done what they instruct you to do? And so, yes, it's a pleasure reading the Bible. A lot of people get a lot out of it, and I do. But it's not just to be read; it is to be obeyed. You can't obey it without reading it, but you can read it without obeying it. But it must be obeyed uh, if we're going to receive the blessings that it can bestow. Yeah, certainly. When we uh, excellent point about Psalms, because I've often thought the same about Proverbs. I love Proverbs, one of my favorite. But in there, you don't find the gospel plan of salvation, God's scheme of redemption. You do find, however, the character that we must have to listen to God's wisdom and to do His will. And I love the way that James not James, but John emphasizes, uh, of course, Christ's deity. But in that, he calls him from the very beginning. In chapter one, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word came and dwelt among us as flesh and blood. We're talking about Jesus Christ there. And a lot of people in the same manner take Jesus as a figurehead, you might say. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. So therefore I'm saved. But they rarely look at Jesus as the source of our doctrine, our gospel. And here's the problem that we find even in the religious world today. Folks try to separate gospel from doctrine and, and act as though they're two different things. Well, and I've had it described to me like this before. Well, the gospel is just that Jesus came and he lived and he died and he was a good man and so on. But the doctrine, well, we all differ in the doctrine, right? Your church teaches this, our church teaches that. And I would uh, suggest to you that that's not what the Bible teaches. Um, gospel and doctrine are intricately woven. They're the same. We cannot separate those things. Jesus is the word. And uh, the word teaches us very specifically what we must do to obey, as Bob has already pointed out in this lesson. And that's what, as Terry said, you know, we'll cut to the heart. And what did they do? They repented and they were baptized. Two things right there that the early Christians do, did that people will argue to their blue in the face today that they don't have to do today. Well, that's not respect toward the word. I know that the word is living and powerful because I know it changed me. And not through, through some miraculous nature. God already did the miracle part of it. And now I need to do the obedience part of it. It convinced me. It guided me. It, it discerns. It, 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 it makes my path. It makes me determine which direction I'm going to go. Because there's nothing more foolish than setting out on a journey 
and not knowing, uh, you know, where you're going, but we must trust in the Lord. Now that sounds contradictory to what Abraham did, but Abraham trusted in God. He received his instructions along the way. And so we're trying to get to heaven. What's our path? How do we get there? And here's another thing I'll end this point on is that people oftentimes say, do what's in your heart. And I have to be careful how I answer this. But I'm going to say, okay, what's in your heart then? If it's the word of God, then yeah, do what's in your heart. If it's not the word of God, I would be very leery of the next step that you take. I want to point out uh, just briefly here that the same word that cut the people's heart, cut the people to their hearts in Acts 2, cut the people to their hearts in Acts 7, but their reception was far different. And their reception was different because their hearts were different. When the word of God cuts an individual to the heart who has a good and honest heart to begin with, that person will see the light. That person will uh, embrace the light. That person will uh, believe and obey the gospel. But when a person's heart is uh, is is like wayside soil, then he'll be cut to the heart. It won't it won't it won't impress him like it did those who were of good and honest hearts, and and they will not. There will not be a good reaction to it. And this gets back to the culture thing. Culture doesn't want to be changed, and this is why they forbid the word of God in public schools. This is why they forbid the word of God on news broadcasts. This is why they're taking God out of the television programming and, and the movie industry, but uh, because they don't want culture to be changed for the better. They want it to become more worse and worse. If it was not for Jesus Christ, can you imagine what the culture would be like today? The Roman culture was awful. And yet Jesus Christ, what he accomplished uh, over time, uh, changed the culture until finally the, uh, the Roman Empire fell uh, because it could not, it could not stand, uh, among other things, against the culture that had changed. Excellent point. You know, when you think about it, if you think about the culture of today and if you think it's bad, ask yourself this. How much worse would it be without the Lord? Scary. Absolutely, Chris. Great observations, gentlemen. You know, on this point, I think about the rich young ruler. Um, Jesus gave him um, basically one, one command. Sell everything you have. Come follow me. And immediately, immediately, the most important thing in his heart was exposed. And I think that would be a good example of this passage is that you don't have to go through 20 or 30 years of therapy to find out what do you love more than anything else? What's your top priority? John chapter 12, many of the rulers believed in him would, but would not confess him. They loved the favor of man rather than the approval of God. And that's the one thing about the word of God. And I, I don't know, that would be one thing, Chris, I would tell our audience that when you present the gospel, sit back and watch the reaction and what sort of response you get back, because that will tell you everything about the most important things about the person you're dealing with. Uh, in Bible classes, I think we see that if a truth or a scripture is presented in Bible class and someone says, but that reveals everything. 
that that reveals really where they're at. If there's some sort of objection to the verse or that the verse is not practical, that the verse is not somehow goes against the think, current thinking of society or whatever, or um, our comments in Bible class in response to truth say everything about where we are on this spiritual journey and whether our allegiance is to God or man, like self, or if it's his will or our will. The word of God immediately exposes all of that. But let's go to that next question. We're going to come back to a verse that we'd looked at before, and that is not only is the gospel seed, but it's spoken of as an incorruptible and imperishable seed. And I think the point has been well made is that the message that produced Christians in the first century, genuine Christians, New Testament Christians, the message that produced the kingdom, the church that Jesus established, that message is still with us. And if we simply faithfully present that message and people respond to it, then we have genuine Christians today. Then we have the church that Jesus established with us today because it's all rooted in the same seed. But gentlemen, you have any other observations on this idea of, yeah, it's a seed, but here's the thing, it's incorruptible and it's imperishable. Your thoughts. In that, in that verse, he, he uh, makes another observation that the word of God lives and abides forever. The nature of it, is that those words you can you can try your best to get rid of every bible there is in the world but you still haven't gotten it out of every heart and you can't and those hearts are going to continue to speak it and pass it on to other hearts so you can't you can't just uh, determine i'm going to get rid of it even if you tried it's going to crop up. It's going to pop up in, from one heart to another. Somebody else is going to, uh, to hide a copy or to remember and uh, memorize verses and jot those down. And so it lives and abides forever. The nature of it is that even in the Old Testament, when uh, one of the, the kings took, uh, took his knife and he started shredding it and throwing away. He thought he's going to get rid of the word of God. It was still in the heart of Jeremiah and it was like a burning flame in his heart. He, he was, it was inside. He's going to put it out there again. You're not going to destroy something that lives so powerfully in the heart of disciples who know it is true. And then they're going to keep entertaining. They're going to Has Terry frozen or is that me? No, he's frozen, but man, it was a great point. Oh, yeah. man, he froze right in the middle of it. Maybe he, he ended on a dramatic note. <laughs> yeah. Bob, Bob, take it up for him. Well, I don't know that I that I could take it up, except that to say that uh, Jesus said uh, when he told Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It was for that very reason. 
the fact that he is the, the Christ, the son of the living God, is the gospel in a nutshell. And that fact will never change. Uh, that is an imperishable and incorruptible fact. And thus, that's what the seed represents. It is basically the fact that Jesus Christ is the son of God and what he says goes. And if he says we're free from sin, we're free from sin. But we've got to accept the conditions on which he uh, promises that forgiveness if we want to be uh, be forgiven. And once you're saved, you're not necessarily always saved. But if we're faithful unto death, we'll receive the crown of life. And being faithful means continuing to, uh, to believe, understand, and apply God's word to your life, even though it may, in fact, cause your death. Terry, why don't you finish your point? I don't know where I got cut off. So it, uh, I was just thinking how, how active and powerful the word of God was uh, in the hearts of, of Jeremiah, where he wanted to hold it in, but he couldn't. And that's the way the, the gospel has been through the years, is that people have tried to persecute the Christians and make them go into silent mode, but it still burns in their heart and they can't suppress it. They can't hold it in. And so it, it pops up here. You may suppress, try to suppress it over here, but it's like, uh, like that wacko game. You try to whack over here and it pops up over there. You whack it over here and it pops up over there. That's the way the word of God has lived and abided ever since it was written to the old Testament. You couldn't get rid of it as much as you tried to. You couldn't get rid of it. And by Jesus' day, it was still living in a line. Then the gospel takes the same course. You, uh, you preach it, and it goes, and it's like a flame of fire, and it burns in hearts all over the world. And then people get mad and try to wacko, wacko, try to knock it out here and there. But no, it pops back up. It's living and it, about, it doesn't matter that our culture may be just as hardened as the Roman culture. It's still going to live and abide in the hearts of those who know it and who know that it's right and who know that it's real. It's going to flame up and it's, they're going to pass it on to somebody else. The word of God lives and abides forever. It's incorruptible and it's imperishable. Those are my thoughts. It. Uh... The word of God is as eternal as the one who gives it. In fact, Jesus is the word. And so the word of God is eternal as the lawgiver and the word giver. And, and that's, of course, Jesus made the parallel between the seed here on earth and the seed of the word of God. But this is where it's different, though. The, this seed doesn't die. This, deed, this seed continually germinates and will not stop. Uh, seeds here on earth, they have a lifespan. They don't last forever. That's why, did you know, we have 1,500 seed banks around the world where people, where seeds are preserved because man knows that if we run out of seeds, that's it. It's over because we can't grow what we need uh, to feed us and to feed the animals. And so, and, and the most famous one is up on that Norwegian island underground where they have over a million seeds contained but yet people ignore the seed of the word of god i mean it is continually av available it doesn't have to be preserved because 
it is divinely preserved. God takes care of it. Uh, and, and scientists have studied the viability of our seeds. The best they can do is maybe about tomato seeds can last 60 years, they found out and so forth. But that's piddly compared to the word of God. Uh, is it Second uh, Peter chapter 3, where he talks about the scoffers will come along and question the promises of God. So much time has taken place. It won't happen. And then Peter launches into the fact that the word of God created the heavens and earth. The word of God brought the flood. And then he says, uh, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Time means nothing to God. Time means nothing to his word. His word is as powerful today as when he spoke it thousands of years ago. Uh, there is no ending to it. That's why it's incorruptible and imperishable. And we do ourselves a, mo a great disservice when we ignore that powerful seed. Well, I can't really add anything to that, so go ahead, Mark. <laughs> well, let's throw one more question in here, uh, Chris, and it's in the same it's in the same verse. It talks about the word abiding, and it also talks about the word living. Uh, it, it's a it's a living message. It's spoken of being alive. Terry had a good point that that king in the Old Testament who cut up the scroll. Guess what? God says, Jeremiah, make another one. Uh, and Mark basically had that point is that God, there is a living God who's always watching over his word versus human authors. Once you die, you basically have lost all control of your what you've written in, in many senses. And we know now there's this movement to kind of, you know, clean up, uh, fix some storylines in certain books that people don't like or whatever and adjust that. Um, but God is always there looking over his word. So we are always going to have like an accurate translation of God's word somewhere. It's never going away. It is always going to be with us. But the thought that it is living, it's going to abide. But there's a thought. And I think we've kind of talked about the sense that it abides. But the sense that God's word is alive. That to me is an interesting concept from the standpoint that it's just not some... Um, innate piece of um, inanimate piece of literature that has like no uh, there there is a a power in that message that is ever present and I think people Chris I think people realize that like if you go into a coffee shop or room with a bible under your arm and people can clearly see what it is there's an immediate there's an immediate sort of reaction that people have to that because they realize that that book is different than other books. There's something different about it because that's a book that if you pick up and read it, that can change you. That can change you drastically. But gentlemen, you have any other questions on this one before we wrap up today's show? Not to take up too much time, but Mark, in your travels, have you noticed any differences from one end of the country to the the other? How people receive, say, a scenario like you're talking about, walking into a place with a Bible in your arm, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think, Chris, when we were in the Portland area, when we were in Beaverton, a suburb of Portland, as we did, um, I handed about 10,000 flyers out. Okay. The closer we got to Metro Portland, the more of this I ran into, 
the more resistance I ran into. So um, that that's just, but you know what? I think Chris, all over the country, all over the country got the same. You got Acts 2 reaction to the word of God and you got Acts 7 sure. <laughs> all over the country. Yes. Big cities, especially. Well, it, it just lives like it's like uh, when Peter quotes, he's quoting Isaiah 40, verse 6 through 8. And so that was Old Testament, you know, 600, 800 years earlier. Uh, but it, it didn't matter that it was that old. It was still alive and it was penetrating hearts, even in the first century even though the book of Isaiah made that comment hundreds of years earlier, it didn't matter how long ago that statement was made. It was still alive. It was passing from one heart to another and therefore it lives and it abides forever. So that Peter then can say, yeah, that statement is still true. 800 years later, it's still true that it is alive and it abides forever because and he quotes, all flesh is grass. Humans may pass away and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord, that's different. It abides forever. It endures forever. And he says, now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. We've carried it along. We've carried all of those truths. They, they haven't been disproven. And you can't disprove them, uh, just disprove them. And in his second book, he said, we have the prophetic word made more sure. So it's still alive. It's more sure than ever uh, because we see its fulfillment. And uh, so it lived and it proved itself and it keeps proving itself over and over so that you can't stamp it out. And the gospel is proven true. All you need is to give it a chance, give it a fair hearing, because if you give it a fair hearing, it has tremendous power to change your mind and bring you to the greatest blessings you could possibly have both here you can get your sins washed away. You can get your life straightened out and you'll have a great future ahead, both here, but especially forever. It, it, it lives and it abides forever. That's why believers still to this day love the word of God. Those are my thoughts. It is the word of God that comes from our God who is alive. And that's why it lives, as Terry made the good point. Uh, remember, Jesus talked about being the bread of life, but he is the he is the living bread, not just the kind of bread we eat. He's the living bread. He he offers us living water. He is the light of life. He is the resurrection and the life. God represents life. God is eternal. Death is not part of God's plan. Death is because of sin, but God is a living God. And the word of God is living and active. And it is because it is his word. And only his word is that powerful that gives us life. It just, uh, just all the things that the Bible says today, it gives us light, it nourishes us, it strengthens us, it washes us, it builds us, it perfects us. It's the only thing that can do that. 
And so is the word of God alive? Yes. And that's why Paul said, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know, Solomon said of the making of books, there is no end. And that is true. Uh, but the books written by men can become outdated. Even scientific journals can become outdated, outmoded. And uh, things scientists believed 100, 100 years ago, they no longer believe. And uh, But God's word will never grow. Jesus, uh, it will never be outdated. Jesus will always be there. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Man will always sin. Uh, as, as a totality, uh, as, a, as a group, uh, and we always need to be saved, and Jesus will always be there with his blood, which is, of course, communicated to us through his word, and, uh, and will cleanse us from our sins and, and bring us to heaven uh, so long as we cooperate with him. All right. Well, excellent thoughts. Um... Uh, Mark had to step away, so uh, we're going to go ahead and finish up our program for today. I want to thank everybody for joining us and uh, listening today, and uh, we know that others will be watching, and if you're doing so, uh, we appreciate your, your feedback, and thank you for all the good comments that our listening audience has uh, made today in the comments section. You can see those on Facebook and YouTube, and uh, everyone has really contributed a lot to our thoughts. One of the things that we want to, I'd like to encourage you with at the at the close of this is just something that's always on my mind, thinking about, once again, our responsibility toward this word, and that's Psalm 119, verse 97. And uh, I have to say, I've grown in more and more appreciation toward this statement as I get older. And it says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. And you can just you can keep reading. Uh, but all these passages are beautiful. Let's apply them to our lives. Let's grow in our deep love and appreciation for God's word, which I know you men certainly do. I want to thank you for joining us on the study today and look forward to seeing you tomorrow for the live Bible Q&A. So tune in tomorrow at noon Eastern time for the live Bible Q&A. And as we mentioned earlier in the program, if you have a question uh, or comment, please submit that to questions at answeringreligiousera.com. We'll add that to the lineup so that we can study it at that time. You can, again, remember to go back and listen to the Answering Religious Error shows on podcast. And if you're a podcast listener, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, you can start each day with the Daily Answer podcast with Mark Dunnigan as early as 5 a.m. every Monday through Friday. So we'll get back to our studies next week as we have some more lessons to continue in our live Tuesday Bible study. And we want to thank you for joining us today. So we'll see you next time 